go ahead and take a seat, please. Well, I need to let you guys know that this is a much more intimidating audience than I had last week. I was in Kingston, Ontario, visiting my family and had the chance to preach while I was there to a congregation of about 15. That includes our family. Um, and there were three young men who uh, stayed at one of the homes nearby who visited. And the whole time I was thinking, don't ask rhetorical questions. Don't, and I just kept asking rhetorical questions. And I was getting answers the whole time through the sermon. So um, if my preaching style has changed, it's because there's still this voice in my head that says, don't ask rhetorical questions. Uh, it's good to be back. And one of the things that um, the elders have asked me to do is to take some time um, in our sermon this morning to introduce our um, our in-work-in-progress, our, our mission statement as it currently stands. Um, and then afterwards, we are going to ask for some feedback. So if you're able to stick around um, to join us immediately after services just up front, uh, we're just interested in getting some feedback on that. Um, so many of you know that we began this process several months ago with, with these kind of phases. And the first phase was to, to kind of get a sense of and then articulate what are some of our core values as a congregation. And then from there to create a, a mission statement, which this is a, a broad and a general statement about direction for the congregation. And the final part of the process is a vision statement, which is something that it may be a vision statement for a year, it may be a vision statement for, for five years, but what are some of the things that we really want to focus on in a tangible way uh, as we go about doing the work of God in, in our community? And so when um, several months ago we sent out this uh, kind of some of our, our, our identity values, um, and that list included bringing glory to God by being Bible-based, a one-another community, an outward-focused blessing, and individuals maturing in faith. So, so these identity statements, they, they're kind of like the fences around where we are, that, that, that who we want to be is a people who exist within the, the boundaries of this fence line. And so what we're going to do this morning is talk a little bit about the, the mission statement, kind of where it's at, and pick it apart. But before we do that, before we dive deeply into the mission statement, I want to just share one of the insights from some of the congregational sessions that we had. Uh, we asked in, in uh, our last session for people to list what were some of the limiting factors for us as a congregation. Uh, a limiting factor is, is any of those things that, that if you were to, to run out of this resource, if, if you didn't have this resource, no matter how many other resources you have, that would halt what you're doing. So we use the example of somebody hiking through the desert. One of their key limiting resources is water. Uh, the day that you run out of water, you don't say, well, I've still got a month of food so we can keep going. When you run out of water, that means the journey ends at that point. If you're a, a mechanic and you, uh, you're the only one working there and you're working um, full schedule, the issue is you don't need better marketing. The issue is you are the limiting factor because there's only so much work that you can do in a day. And so when we ask for feedback, the, the number one response in terms of a limiting factor for us as a church is, is time. Um, there, there's only so many things that you can say yes to and, and get involved in terms of resources of volunteer hours, in terms of, of the time that people have to give to it. And that, for me, solidified part of the value and the importance of doing what we're doing, coming up with a mission and then specifically a vision statement, um, because we've never in the past had an issue coming up with a list of good things that could be done within our church and within our community. That's never been the issue. There, there's, there's tons of things. There's, there's an unlimited list of things that can be done. But as a church, we need to select what are some of the most important things for us to be doing. What, what are the things that we need to be saying yes to and what are the things that we need to be saying no to? 
And so part of this process has been to help us to identify and to bring us to some of those things. And so that brings us to the place we're at right now, which is this mission statement that was sent out, if you're on Flocknote, um, was sent out earlier this week. If you do not know what Flocknote is or you did not receive a Flocknote, that's our primary method of communication as a congregation. Um, so get in touch with uh, Cindy Trapp. She'll make sure that you're on Flocknote and receiving these messages. But here's the mission statement proposed as it currently stands. Bringing glory to God by encouraging individuals to develop and mature in the faith, by cultivating a one another community, and by striving to be an outward blessing to others. So we're going to do an autopsy on this. Take pieces apart and talk about, here, here's why they're in the list, and here's what we mean by those sort of things. But the first thing that you may notice is that there was something in the identity statement that didn't end up in the mission statement that we're Bible-based. And I want to just be extra, extra, extra clear about this. It is not because we don't think the mission involves being Bible-based. Again, the values are the boundaries. How are we going to go about doing these things? Everything we do will be Bible-based. Um, but so it's, it's, it's a sense of a, a more general direction. Everything will be Bible-based. But when it came to actionable things, it's hard to be actionable in terms of being Bible-based. And so for that reason, it remains as a backdrop to everything that we are doing. We remain Bible-based. But, but here's some of the individual pieces, and I'm going to deal with the first piece, bringing glory to God at the end. But pieces. First of all, we want to be encouraging individuals to develop and mature in the faith. We believe that individuals have to make important decisions about their faith. You know, there are some things in life that other people can do for you, right? Somebody else can cook for you. Somebody else can drive you to the gym. Someone else can even do your homework. But there are certain things that nobody else can do for you. Even though somebody can cook for you, you have to eat for yourself. Even though somebody can drive you to the gym, you have to do the exercise yourself. Even though somebody can do your homework for you, you have to at some point learn for yourself. And faith and faith development belongs in that kind of a category that is something that you must take ownership for and must make your own decisions about. Several of the examples we'll use to illustrate this all come out of Romans. Since we're setting through Romans, here's a way to kind of connect mission statement and Romans. But notice these passages. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Each one has to have their own individual faith. Romans 4 and 24. Speaking of righteousness, righteousness will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Each of these recognize there is an individual decision that each person must make. Everyone's going to be accountable for her own actions, for her own faith, for her own decisions and deeds in the presence of God. And so as we think about faith, I think that it's helpful to think about these, these two pieces or these two elements to faith, which is that faith is composed of certain important moments. There is a moment, as we just read above, where one is baptized into Christ, just like Sophia was baptized. That was a momentary decision. And a part of our faith involves these moments where we make commitments and we make decisions with our faith. And that way it's like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. We are either in the kingdom of light or we are in the kingdom of darkness. 
But beyond these moments of faith, there, there are also these movements of faith. That The faith is something to be growing and developing and progressing. Christianity is not just about getting into a right relationship with God. It's about growing in that faith. Paul, when he's speaking of baptism, he says that we are then raised so that we too might walk in the newness of life. It's a, it's a whole new lifestyle, not just a whole new moment in our lives. And there are scriptures that talk about the importance of what happens as we grow and develop and mature in our faith. Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So we want to be people living in a way that our mind is set on the Spirit. We're told in Romans 8, 29, that those whom he predestined, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So we're growing into the people who are conformed into that image. So as a church, we want to provide a context where people can grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We want to provide a setting where people can walk not by the flesh, but where people can walk by the Spirit. We want to provide opportunities for people to make decisions about their faith, for it to be a growing faith, for it to be an engaged faith, for it to be a maturing faith. And what do you think happens to a church when individuals are not making decisions about their own faith? When individuals are not growing and maturing, the church will be stagnant. When individuals are not praying, the church will be stagnant. When individuals are not sharing their faith, the church will be stagnant. And so part of our mission statement, we include this thing where we want individuals to be coming to a relationship with God. And we want them to be growing in their relationship with God. The second piece of the mission statement is by cultivating a one another community. You might find it interesting, we just talked about how faith is personal. We need to realize faith is personal, but faith is not private. This is not something whereby we have sole ownership over our relationship with God. A private faith says, my relationship with God is none of your business. A private faith says... I establish my relationship with God. I nurture it by myself. I determine truth by myself. When it comes to my faith, I am an island. So while Christianity is highly personal, it is never private, but is essentially communal. That we realize that as believers, we are brought into and entered into a family of God. And so for that reason, 59 times in the New Testament, there are one another passages about how we are to live in relationship with one another. And so I just chose those passages out of Romans to give us a sense of these one another passages. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a hearty handshake or a holy kiss or whatever you think it needs to say there. But there are these responsibilities we have to one another. And so you recognize a Christian who is growing in faith, that growth in their faith is not just going to be show up or, or be evident in their own life, it's going to be evident in the relationship they have between themselves with others who are also people who believe and profess Christ. We know from Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that as individuals, we are added to the body of Christ. That body has many parts, and we all each individually are a part of that body. 
See, when our relationship to God changes, that means automatically our relationship to others changes. If God becomes our Father, that means those others who call Him God, they now become our what? Our siblings. Our brothers and sisters in the faith. Family is not one of those things that you just get to choose what kind of a family you're going to be a part of. We don't choose our family, but we are called into a family. And in that family, we are called to love one another. Transitions with siblings can be hard. The story of one of the young girls at our church who will remain unnamed, though detectives might figure it out, who when mom is expecting a baby, she is found putting some of her toys into a cabinet. And when mom and dad ask what she's doing, she's hiding them from the new baby so the new baby won't play with my toys. New siblings can be hard. And so being a one another community is this recognition that we are brought into a new relationship with one another. And how we treat one another is a sign of the kind of a relationship that we have with our Father. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul writes, For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. The cross does not just impact the nature of the relationship we have with God. It impacts the nature of the relationship that we have with one another. That makes the church then a contrast community. The the way that we act and interact with each other, it should look different than the ways that you will find others in the world acting and interacting with one another. So every country in the world that has their own unique customs and their own habits about what people can and can't do in relationships, if you've ever visited another country, somebody's probably said, no, we don't do that here. Here's what we do and said, you have to learn all sort of new rules about how to live. And Paul does tell us that our citizenship is in heaven. Because our citizenship is in heaven, that means we are part of a new community that operates according to new customs and new habits and new rules. And the kingdom of God and the people of God and the church live according to those rules and instructions. Here's just one of many examples of a way that the Christian church is a counter community to that outside. Paul says then there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Out there, there might be a difference in what happens in all of these things, and yet, for Paul, he recognizes that one another community is going to live and relate to each other in different ways. And then the the third piece. We do all this by striving to be an outward blessing to others. And hopefully you've noticed there's a progression in each of these things. An individual, they, they, they grow and they develop and mature in their faith. They become, therefore, a part of a one another community. And then that one another community seeks then to be a blessing to others. From the very beginning, God gave this promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all of the families on earth shall be blessed. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm I'm going to treat you in a special way. I'm going to bless you. And the intention and the purpose of that blessing was not not for Abraham to just be, and his children just be able to say, we have this blessing. But as he blesses them, in order they'd be like a sprinkler, that 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 blessing is going to go out from there. But sometimes even when God chooses to bless people so there'll be a sprinkler to distribute that blessing, sometimes they create a dam, don't they? And they think this blessing is supposed to be 
for me. This blessing is supposed to be for us. There are some things that the Christian church can never say. We can never say, we are blessed. And I bet you wish you could be too. That's being a dam, saving that blessing just for ourselves. But instead, we recognize these are our words. We are blessed. And guess what? You can be blessed too. God blesses us in order to be a blessing to others. And this blessing can come in all sorts of different ways. Uh, a few things just to, to whet your appetites. Again, the examples coming from Romans. Sometimes we bless others by teaching them the gospel itself. What, what it means to come into a relationship with God. Romans 1, 5 says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. So, so how do we bless people? We, we, we take this message and try to bring obedience of the faith to all that we encounter. Sometimes we bless people by our acts of kindness, by the ways we, we treat them. Romans 12, 20-21. Now, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they are thirsty... Give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If God so loved the world, then we want to be a community that also shows love to the people that God loves. So now going to the very beginning statement, bringing glory to God. You'll notice that each of the three statements that we've looked at already, they all have a, a central focus and a central purpose, which is that God would be glorified. You'll find over and over again in Scripture that the ultimate aim, the ultimate focus, the ultimate purpose of things is that God might receive the glory that is due His name. What's an ultimate purpose for us as individuals? To give God glory. What's the purpose of us as a community? It is to give God glory. Caleb read for us a, a part of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and in that, Paul, it's like he takes us on a tour through some of the highlights of the things that have been accomplished in Christ. He talks about adoption and redemption, forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then three times he mentions this phrase to remind us why God has done all of these things in Christ Jesus. So see if you can figure out the phrase that's repeated or the concept. He does all these things to the praise of his glorious grace. So that we, who are the first to set hope on Christ, might live... For the praise of his glory. And this is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. So he talks about redemption, he talks about forgiveness, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says God does all these things so that his name might receive glory. So then what better purpose is there for us to be a church other than to continue to give God the glory that is due him? Even look at how in the work with individuals, this passage we just read, you're going to recognize as individuals are growing, as they're coming to faith, what is the ultimate purpose for that? Paul talks about it in Romans 1.5, and notice what he says at the end, for the sake of his name. So we're bringing people to the obedience of faith, not simply for their own benefit, not simply for their own blessing, though there are blessings for them, but ultimately, we do it for the sake and for the glory of the name of God. What about what we do in communities with one another? Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you. Well, why should I? For the glory of God. When I welcome you, it's not just so that you will feel welcomed or that you will feel embraced or loved or cared for. In doing that, who receives glory? God receives glory. Notice how Paul ends the book of Romans, which I'm sure some of you are like, I would love to get to the end of Romans in our sermon series. We'll get there eventually. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you 
according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. So again, Paul's revisiting this. This is all about bringing obedience to faith. He's covered that whole topic. And then how does he close? To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. We want to be a people who bring glory to God. And so, here's the proposed current working mission statement that we are going to bring glory to God by encouraging individuals to develop and mature in the faith, by cultivating a one another community, and by striving to be an outward blessing. Again, after uh, we finish our services this morning, we're going to have a quick meeting up front for those who'd like to give some um, reflections, reactions to the elders about um, this mission statement. Uh, You'll have that chance to do that. Uh, We will shortly stand and sing a song when we do. If you have any sort of a need, if you're seeking prayers, if you're trying to develop and mature in your own faith, you're trying to establish a a relationship with God and and wondering about the nature of that relationship, um, when we sing that song, I invite you to come to the back. But before we do, I offer a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And Paul, as he ends his letter to the Corinthians, he says that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's our prayer, that we go with God, we go with Christ, and we go with the Holy Spirit. So if you have any kind of a need, I invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing this next song.